Welcome, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, based on whichever part of the world you are in right now. Welcome to the next episode of Rethinking Legal Ops, where we have future-thinking conversations about how legal tech and AI are transforming the way that we practice law everywhere. How are you, Antal? How's it going? Good, good. How are you, Alice? Good. Nice to, nice to see you for this, uh, for this episode. Of Absolutely. Legal um, all right. Labs. So, hi everyone. Um, as you know, as you can now see, we really bring we're re- bringing back rethinking legal ops as a podcast after a several week, perhaps month hiatus. Um, we have our illustrious founder Hans Paul here, um, chatting with me. And today, our topic is going to be a pretty interesting one. We're going to talk about the application of large language models in legal tech and their ethical considerations. Um, so, I think why don't we just sort of jump right into it? Does that sound good, Hans Paul? Sure. Well, thank you, Alice, for being here. Alice is product, our uh, product evangelist and um, great, uh, great team member. So thank you for being here, Alice. Mm-hmm. Of course. And all right. Um, so again, like thank you to Hans Paul for taking time from running away, running from meeting to meeting um, to be able to join us in this conversation. So why don't we just start off pretty like basically, right? Like what are LLMs? What are these large language models um, that are supposedly going to revolutionize the legal space? Thank you for the question, Alice. So, of course, we have heard of ChatGPT. Um, most of us are, are actually using it, especially in the Bay Area. Well, not everyone is using it. Of course, um, in in US, there is a very high level of penetration of um, apps and online products. In Europe, there is a much lower degree of uh, penetration and adoption. So, actually, I've found I'm originally from Europe that not everyone knows about ChatGPT. Uh, so, but anyways, for those who don't know, actually, ChatGPT is um, an app, a chatbot developed by OpenAI, which is a company uh, founded a couple of years ago in the Bay Area, and they developed this super, super cool, super easy to use chat um, that gives you actually human-like answers, very, very close to like if it was a human. And of course, the technology that they're using in the, on, the, on the back end is called um, AI, artificial intelligence, which is the, you know, the, big, the big family of, of technology. Inside AI, which is artificial intelligence, you have machine learning, machine learning. Inside machine learning, you have deep learning, which is machine learning with more data and more, uh, more parameters and more um, you know, neural networks. Within the deep learning, you have uh, NLP, natural language processing, which is uh, a specific type of deep learning model focused on semantics and on text. And within NLP, we have these large language models. So this is just to tell where they sit within this categorization of technologies. So large language models are large because they use enormous number of parameters compared to other models. So there's nothing new. Well, there is something new, but there is for sure a huge number of data that make this possible. Great. And no thing that sounds like a fantastic primer on what LLMs are. Um, super, super accessible. So thank you so much for that, Hans Paul. Now, how do you, you know, as someone who is very immersed in the space, you know, 
and also someone who's very sort of technically oriented, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you think LLMs are really changing the legal tech sphere? Yeah, so LLMs, um, well, the legal tech sphere, of course, uh, there are many aspects being, being changed. Um, before LLMs, we were using classification models, name entity recognition. So machine learning was there since, you know, the, the early 2000s. Uh, before there were in the before the in the in the in the, in the 90s and the other century we had a lot more regular expression type of uh, innovation in the legal sphere so regular expression which means hard coded formulas to make a machine look like a human then we had ai and ml for the first 20 years now the past 8 months we got a new disruption, which are the LLMs, right? So this, I would say, third wave of technological um, waves, jumps into legal. And so the legal tech series being um, enormously changed simply for the fact that before you had to, to do a lot of supervised learning, meaning you had to exactly tell the machine what to do. Now you can do a lot of prompt engineering and a lot of unsupervised learning, meaning those models um, are eliminating the need for manual closed tagging and data analysis, mm. which is a big, a big step ahead. And we can use prompt engineering, meaning asking questions to the models to get the right answers to do lots of tasks. Um, yeah. Right. Wow. So it sounds like we're really on the precipice of a pretty revolutionary time um, for AI. It is and then also AI in the legal space. So I guess sort of to follow up on what you mentioned, you know, like it seems like there's really a lot of tech that can be leveraged here. Um, can you talk us through like maybe some of the cases of applications of LLMs in legal tech? Um, you know, are there any, you know, companies or technologies on the market that like really catches your eye that makes you excited about the space? Yeah, thank you for proposing this. Actually, uh, it's, a, it's a very good segue to, to, the, to the first part of the, you know, the question of how LLMs are disrupting or changing the legal sphere, I think there are several aspects of the process. From contract drafting, uh, you know, we've seen GenAI is part of, of is, is a specific use case of LLMs used to generate new text, uh, new pieces of text um, based on on other language that has learned in the past. So examples are generative applications such as we have companies like uh, Loyo, LexCheck, Juro, PocketFlow, and others who are very focused on, on basically automating the generation of the contracts. Um, not all of them are using LMs, but I'm just saying those are some examples of company focusing on, uh, on, on the generative part of the contracts. Um, another example is summarizing text, so make it easy for um, a layman also to understand a difficult text, a difficult piece of documents such as a contract. Speed Legal is doing that, a few others are, um, and that's a, a huge advantage also for non-lawyers. There are, there are a new set of applications focused on Q&A, so questions and answers. Uh, basically, case text, uh, co-counsel and Harvey are a couple of examples where usually lawyers, professionals, know what to ask. So they ask questions to the, to the model, to the, uh, the chat, and they get specific answer to, to from the contract. So that's another area of applications that we have seen recently. Absolutely. 
again, all of this sounds incredible. Um, I think before we dive into the ethical dimensions, um, I do want to ask, you know, like you are the founder of a very amazing startup, um, Speed Legal, that's really going to change, I think, how we're going to do contracts. You, when you were talking about the various use cases, you did situate, you know, Speed Legal in sort of at the, like, you know, generative application summation capabilities. Do you mind talking a little bit about, you know, like how you see Speak Legal sitting in this space? Um, are there other sort of aspects of the use cases like you personally feel like you'd want to, you know, push Speak Legal toward, you know, to the extent that you are comfortable chatting about it? Of course. Thank you so much for asking that, Alice. Um, yeah, well, at Speed Legal, we are mostly focusing on the dissection, dissectioning contract into easy to digest. Um, text. So we believe at Speed Legal that contracts should be as easy to read as the labels on the back of our food. So that's for sure part of our service. Um, you know, decoding contracts into something easy, make them easy. Also helping to understand where are the deviation from the standard being a market standard or an internal playbook of the company. So those are the areas where we are really excited about and focusing our research and uh, engineering efforts. We also like to, well, the areas of contract drafting, which is something we will be, um, you know, adding on top of our current platform later. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, those are the main areas we're focusing on right now. All right, sounds incredible. Um, so I think the world is just waiting for sort of speed legal to also jump in this space. Um, so it sounds super, super exciting. Thank you, Alice. Okay. I actually wanted to ask you a couple of questions if you're if yes. you're open to that. Yes, well, please do that, yes. Nice. Yeah. So through your your studies and research, uh, that you, maybe you want to say something also about your background if you're open to that. But so and maybe some of the work you've been doing. Um, what are the ethical considerations when de deploying large language models in the legal industry? Great. No, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, and then also, I think something a question that really keeps academics and lawyers up at night. Um, so I think in terms of my own background, um, I'm finishing up the PhD at Stanford, also finishing up law school, um, and much of my research also does in some ways touch on the application of AI in the legal field and what are the reverberating repercussions of that. Um, so I think Hans Paul, your question is absolutely excellent and really speaks to some of the key issues we're trying to grapple with. Um, so like very broad overviews, things that we're concerned with is really just, you know, as has been talked about within the AI space, bias and fairness issues, bias if you have a data set or you have a training set that embodies in some way societal prejudices or biases, we run the risk of those being reproduced in the outputs. Um, we also, some have fairness issues. I think Hans Paul sort of alluded to this when he mentioned, you know, this idea that we can democratize AI more broadly, you know, allow other people to be able to access contracts or interpret contracts who they might not normally might not be able to. And I think that runs into questions of in an ideal world, those who cannot access legal services are the ones who benefit from legal tech. But on the other hand, we can imagine scenarios where it's really, you know, the big law firms in the world mm -hmm. who can fund and buy the technologies um, that allow them to be able to leverage AI and the extent to which that's just already compounding existing advantages. Um, and then also something related to accuracy issues as well, right? I think this is something that has 
emerged in some ways recently, at least within the legal tech space. Um, Hans Paul and I were discussing a little bit earlier about the lawyer in New York who used ChatGPT um, to, to help him do legal research. And ultimately it seemed that ChatGPT had actually hallucinated six cases that didn't exist. Um, he included it in his brief and the judge as well as opposing counsel were under, understandably quite angry. Um, so he's getting sanctioned potentially and sending quite a warning shot, I think, to lawyers out there about how to be careful when it comes to using AI. And some other issues related to accuracy, there's a paper that folks at Stanford and Berkeley recently put out where they look at the changes in the behavior of ChatGPT over time. Um, and they find like a very interesting result in the sense that they believe ChatGPT is almost quote unquote getting dumber. Um, mm. That some of the more basic questions that the LLM was able to answer in March, 2023, like is X or Y a prime number, or can you write me a code to directly execute this thing? It's less competent at doing it in June, 2023. So only three months after, right? So it's these questions of like, oof, you know, like That's where huge. is this going? Right, right. Um, so I think like it raises questions for, you know, us as well of like, well, are we actually training these AI to get smarter, to actually do what we want to? Um, and not sort of, you know, to belabor the point, but of course like privacy issues about how to handle legal data. If I don't trust large tech companies to be able to handle my personal data, do I trust, you know, like small mom and pop law firms, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to have the capacity to be able to uh, handle my personal data? And, you know, also questions of, let's say, like liability and accountability or even transparency and interpretability, right? Like we saw what happened with the lawyer in New York. This is a man who's been a lawyer for 30 years. Like he's very well versed in law and still had issues trying to interpret the outputs of ChatGBT. Um, what does this say about folks who have less knowledge of the law? And sort of finally, you know, this issue of liability and accountability of legal decisions, right? Like some of the, you know, like one big question that sort of floats around legal academia is why people really obey the law in the first place, or like why do people obey legal decisions? And part of that answer is because even if they don't believe in, they don't like the quote-unquote outcome, they still believe in the process, they believe they were subject to a fair process, and they're still willing to comply, even though if they're, you know, quite a little bit angry. So in this case, there's this question of, well, if we're introducing AI into legal decisions, we're making this process less transparent, could this impact the perceived legitimacy of judicial decisions? Could it then lead to a decrease in the sort of, um, compliance, the extent to which the general public will say, you know, ah, yes, like that decision, we don't like it, but we'll still, we'll still comply with it. And just to not talk too much, but um, sort of the reverse side of this is mm -hmm. if you have judges who are also looking at AI generated briefs, you know, is there a possibility that they have the same level of skepticism toward AI as the general public, where they think, oh, you know, this thing was written by, or it was uh, written with the assistance of AI, maybe I'm less likely to believe the argument because maybe I have some preconceived bias about you know, the role of AI in law or how competent they actually are, so et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that's really where we see the ethical considerations, um, but perhaps that is for a later podcast where we can really dive deeply into some of these concerns. Very but interesting. Thank you so much for that. 
wonderful question, no, Hansball. No, I mean, if you can double click, and of course we want to talk about this a bit later, but so you're saying that people may not accept um, a decision made by AI, right? And same thing right. for, for the other side of the table, judges may not be, mm -hmm. um, do you, you have any insights about this or what do you, what's your personal right. belief about that? No, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, so I think backing up a little bit, unfortunately, there really isn't that many empirical studies out there about how all of these you know, things operate together. So like part of my research right now is really trying to get at the question that Johannes Paul just asked. And so I think my intuition at the moment is that people will likely be less they will perceive these decisions to be less legitimate. Um, and But whether or not that has a direct impact on their behavior, I think is a different question. So um, Tom Tyler at Yale, he is well known for sort of engaging in this um, like wonderful research relating to compliance and legitimacy to the legal system, legal authorities. Mm -hmm. And part of what he finds is that the transparency of a system is very important for the extent to which someone will perceive a decision or an action as legitimate. Um, and I sort of mentioned before, you know, like when we throw AI in there, where it is this black box that the general public won't really understand, you know, will, and experts are sometimes sort of grappling to understand as well, that's really going to mess up that sort of um, input transparency output uh, you know, chain, right? And so I think my personal intuition is that there's going to be a decrease in the extent to which the public will perceive a lot mm -hmm. of legal decisions to be legitimate. But I think that's something that's more of an empirical question that we should, you know, wait to see how it bears out in reality. Nice. Uh, we are looking forward to hearing more once <laughs> you are done with, with, the, with the research project. Nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for that great question. Cool. Um, maybe any any insight on well i think these days people are taking the bar exam is it correct yes in, yes in exactly so um, what, what are your thoughts about that and you know how gpt4 took the bar exam mm -hmm. and passed it you know with a good mark Great. so Great. Um, what are the implications of that and how uh, can maybe you know it be valuable Great. about that no, I think that's an excellent question. Um, so I think it is now day two of the bar. Um, so shout out to my friends who yesterday had to brave through that full bar exam. We're very proud of them. Um, but nice. I think Hans Paul, yes, <laughs> Hans Paul, I think your answer is perfect um, because you know what you mentioned is there were some faculty members at um, Chicago, Ken, and Michigan uh, State Law School who ended up deploying GPT four on not only the bar exam but also on the multi-state bar exam. Um, so they, the chat GPT, sorry, chat GPT ended up scoring in the 90th percentile of the bar exam, which is very impressive, mm -hmm. passing all sections of the MBE. Um, so they did like super well in contracts, but they got around 88.1% of the questions correct. And then they did well in evidence, they did well in criminal procedure and law, and they're scoring, you know, like in the, like, they're getting 80% of these questions right, which is, in some ways, more impressive than what I would be able to do where I should take this exam now, right? So I think it raises these important questions of, of, you know, to what extent this might render bar exams in the future obsolete, but I don't think I have a good answer to that about like where this puts us in the future. I think we as, the, as lawyers and law students more generally are still trying to grapple with, you know, like how smart them. Um, so, Maybe for a future podcast, I'll think more deeply about this question and then we can return to it. 
Um, but that's no, I think that's definitely something for folks to have in mind. Um, okay, so I know Hans Paul, you have important meetings with funders and everyone, but do you mind sort of helping us conclude this podcast by telling us a little bit about the future prospects and challenges for LLM's legal tech? You know, like you mentioned, there's like massive advancements in AI capacities. Can you talk a little bit more about those advancements and how you see them potentially impacting the legal industry? Sure. Uh, thank you for the question, Alice. So, um, so LLMs are, are a great advancement themselves. You know about the good things that are going to happen is, of course, we we can reduce the manual work when uh, you know training the previous models and being able to have more well-performing uh, models in terms of accuracy instead of manual taking a lot of data. But as you said, we have to be be aware of biases, as you mentioned before, as some models are becoming dumber. So those are both advantages in terms of training and improvements uh, and at the same time are threats in terms of um, you know, making sure that we don't create too much, bi too much biases. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so in terms of challenges, I think uh, ad the adoption, of course, is uh, one of the, in, terms, in the legal sphere, right, is one of the, the big, the big, uh, big issues, yeah. especially for, you know, uh, boutique law firms and law firms who have been doing things for many years in the same way, mm -hmm. using their frameworks, the internal models and, and processes. But we have seen a lot of uh, new new entrants in, in those markets by, by newcomers. So I think they're opening up their, not just their their doors, but open their, their, their minds to, to, to try new, new technology. So that's, um, you know, the, the future is going to be see more and more integration of AI into the process mm -hmm. of, our, of, of the day-to-day -day activities, both in-house and, and outside legal. Um, and not just, you know, in, in, in improving the internal processes, but providing a better service to our customers, uh, meaning that, you know, online services kind of licensing our own knowledge and know-how mm. uh, and giving it out to, to, to our customers and clients as, as lawyers, right? So technology is going to make us maybe as lawyers, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm saying as lawyers, it could make us, uh, you know, smarter at the same time, well, not smarter, but probably being able to reach more, more customers with the same knowledge that we have and the same 24 hours that we all have. Well, it sounds incredible. Um, it's, I think it's very exciting in some ways because Hans Paul, you're really at the forefront of this. Like you are leading the charge in many ways at Speed Legal. Um, we, are, to... we are. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, again, wonderful. Um, but thank you so much, Hans Paul, for a wonderful conversation. It was so great to hear your thank thoughts you. about LLMs, about the future of all of this going forward. Um, and I know you have, again, so much on your plate right now. So I think it's, I will let you go. But, you know, like, thank you. Thank you for everyone here um, for just tuning in um, for our podcast and going forward we'll be bringing this back so hopefully we'll see you next week um, but thank you guys all for coming truly truly delightful and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week thank you Alice right, take care nice everyone bye. bye bye everyone the practice of law is changing and we're here for it thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of transforming legal ops Follow us for more such insightful conversations about the transformative impact of legal tech. Also, follow Speed Legal and let us know in your comments and messages about how you personally leverage legal tech to make your own work more efficient. See you next time.